It's been commonly understood that stronger marriages have always helped to produce healthier and more well-adjusted children. And there are many studies on this topic. So today, we'll be talking with Bob Lapine about his most recent book, Build a Stronger Marriage. And it's next on Licensed to Parent. Hi, I'm Michelle Hill, and I'm glad you've joined us for another episode of Licensed to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherds Hill Academy. Shepherds Hill is a year-long Christ-centered residential program for teens in crisis. Our host, Trace Embry, is the founder of Shepherds Hill and author of The Miracles of Shepherds Hill. Our goal on Licensed to Parent is to take what we're learning each day at Shepherds Hill and share it with you so that you can be better prepared to raise your kids in a way that honors God. You know, Trace, here at Shepherds Hill, you see a lot more progress in the behavior of kids and in their parent-child relationships when the parents are more diligent in getting their marriage relationships right and getting those relationships mm-hmm. in order. Yeah. Why, why do you think that is? Well, there are several reasons that uh, can be specific to each family, but one of the most common reasons that, that come to my mind is the simple idea of security. I mean, every kid is looking for security and belonging. And when mom and dad are always at each other's throats and living as though they're you know, on the brink of divorce, then in junior's eyes anyway, mom and dad are on the brink of not belonging to each other anymore. And uh, if they don't belong to each other anymore, then junior's wondering where or with whom he or she actually belongs. And that's when kids are more apt to find the security they're looking for in any number of people and or things. Um, the problem is that too often these people and or things are bringing kids anything but security. They may bring them things disguised as security, but perhaps carnal pleasures or relationships. It, it might have a cathartic effect that only deadens the pain and insecurity mm. of the war zone that they, they uh, come from at home. But when our parents get back to the fundamentals, which you know most often involves putting Christ back on the throne in their homes, then, you know, uh, as we just prayed a little bit ago, God's ecosystem is mm-hmm. put back into the equation, and that's when most everything else works itself out from there. I mean, that's the short and simple answer, but uh, I really am looking forward to digging a, a bit deeper with today's guest. Well, so am I. I'm excited to welcome our guest today, Bob Lapine. Bob is best known to radio and podcast listeners as the longtime co-host of Family Life Today, and now you can hear him on Truth for Life with Alistair Begg. Bob is a pastor. He serves various other ministries, and in his spare time, he writes books. Bob and his wife, Mary Ann, live in Little Rock, Arkansas, and have five children and 10 grandchildren. And something that our listeners might not know is... I used to work at Family Life, and Bob has been a mentor of mine. I served with him for over 16 years and learned so much about radio, but also the big bonus was I learned so much more about the God that we serve, and I am very thankful for Bob. Today, we are talking with Bob about his book, Building a Stronger Marriage. Well, Bob, welcome to the Licensed to Parent broadcast, brother. Trace, Michelle, great to be with both of you guys. And Michelle, good to catch up after uh, yes. a little bit of separation. We we did have uh, uh, many years together, and it was great uh, to be co-workers. I learned a lot from Michelle. She didn't just learn from me. I learned a lot from her as well. <laughs> yeah, well, listen, thank you for this book. Thank you for being with us and, and, and for uh, loaning Michelle to us for a while. Yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> Uh, let me ask you this. What, what, what's your take on what's happened to the institution of marriage in America over the past 50 or 60 years? And what effect has it had in the last few generations of American kids? 
You know, I've thought a lot about this, and I think you can really trace the disintegration of the marriage relationship. Uh, you, you can actually go back a long way. You can go back to Shakespeare and Jane Austen and, and the, turning mm-hmm. marriage into a primarily romantic relationship. And, and it should be a romantic relationship, but not primarily a romantic relationship. It is first and foremost a covenantal relationship where we come mm-hmm. together, pledge ourselves together, and we we do this for not just our mutual enjoyment, but for the good of the world. And I, th- I think we've lost some of that. Uh, I remember talking with a group of pastors one time, and I said, I'm getting ready to go speak to a couple they're not yet married, um, and I, I want to know what Bible verses you would tell me to share with them as they get ready to start their marriage. You can't use Ephesians 5, and you can't use First Peter 3, or even Genesis 2, because those are kind of the go-to passages on marriage. And I had pastors give me all kinds of wisdom, but I remember two guys in particular who said, uh, tell them to look at uh, Psalm 34.3. In fact, one of them said, I used this verse to propose to my wife. And the verse, which I had read many times but never thought of in the context of marriage, was the verse, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Mm, yeah. And I thought, that's what marriage is supposed to be about. Two people coming together saying, we can do this better together than apart. And the companionship and the romance and all of that, that's an added benefit. It's a part of God's goodness to us. But the union of a man and a woman, well, God talked about it in Genesis 1 and 2, be fruitful and multiply, become one flesh, fill the earth, populate, subdue it. That creation mandate is connected to the very first institution God created, marriage. And as you said, we live in a culture that has devalued that, that has uh, turned it all into, uh, it, it's all about love and loving who you love and nobody shouldn't tell you. And, and I go, there's there's a whole lot bigger purpose for marriage than what we've made it into in our day. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, marriage uh, morphs into a family. Yes. Is the family emblematic in any way of the Godhead or supposed to be emblematic of the Godhead? Oh, yeah, in many ways. First of all, the marriage relationship is supposed to be a picture of Christ and the church. Mm -hmm. Even more than that, I think it's supposed to be a picture of Trinitarian oneness. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been perfectly united uh, for all eternity. There, there has never been a quarrel, an argument. There has never been a shifting of purpose where one member of the Trinity said, well, I want to do this. And the other one said, well, I want to do that. They've all been in, in harmony with one another. Marriage is supposed to be that kind of oneness uh, that we enter into. And because of our fallen nature, we do squabble and quarrel and we have different agendas and different ideas. But again, I, I, I tell couples, when you're looking at what should we be doing? How should we be living in marriage? Mm-hmm. The key question to ask is not, does this make you happy or does this make me happy? The key question is, does this please God? So let's live our lives with that at the center. Mm-hmm. That's the thing we want to accomplish. And then our happiness 
will will multiply when together we are serving and pleasing the Lord. And then you add kids into the mix. You ask about the family structure and what that's supposed to, to be a picture of. And, and think about it. That's how God refers to his relationship with us. We are his children. He is our heavenly parent. We have been adopted into his family. Mm-hmm. And so the, the church and the family of God really is a, a, a picture of or, or I, I guess I should say the human family is a picture of the bigger family that we've been invited into by the Father who welcomes us as children and uh, and rejoices over us, the Bible says. Mm-hmm. You know, Bob, here at Shepherd's Hill, we see a lot of this breakdown or as you just painted this, you know, you were talking about the picture of the family. I, I kept thinking the picture's fading. The picture is slowly fading. It's gone from a vibrant color to black and white to even hard to make it out. So we're seeing the breakdown of a family here, you know, and we're talking about marriage and the breakdown of the marriage. What do we need to do to fix that? Because there are all kinds of books. There are all kinds of Bible studies. There are all kinds of radio programs and podcasts and ministries to marriage, but we're not seeing that kind of come back, so to speak. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. And I think what we're seeing is we we used to live in a culture where uh, around us, the culture supported uh, the idea of marriage, promoted it, saw it as a cultural good. That's not the case anymore. Uh, the average couple getting married today has already been living together. About half of the kids who are born today are born outside of a covenant of marriage. Mm -hmm. So we have decoupled raising kids, family. We've decoupled all of that and just said, live as individuals, enjoy a sexual relationship. You can do all of this. The age for getting married has gotten older and older. So there's a prolonged adolescence throughout the 20s that a lot of people are going through. It's hard enough to make a marriage and a family work when the culture is cheering you on and encouraging healthy family structures. When the culture is actively promoting something different as a positive good, that just makes it more complicated for all of us. And this is where I think we have to, I have a friend who says, don't let the culture catechize you. Let the scriptures mm-hmm. catechize you. Mm-hmm. So we, we have to be renewing our mind regularly. That's Romans mm-hmm. 12 too, right? We, we're not to be conformed to this world. In fact, mm-hmm. we have to recognize where the world is contra the, the scriptures, and we have to live contra mundum against the world right. in, in how we live out our faith and take our cues from the Bible and not from what we see on reality TV or what we hear in pop songs. And really putting on the full armor of God and making that stand and doing everything, you know, praying, praying in, yeah. at all times and doing everything we can to stand. Um, yeah. That's what I'm hearing, too. Well, and and our mutual friend Dennis Rainey used to say that uh, we think marriage is supposed to be lived out on a romantic balcony. It's actually lived out in a spiritual battlefield. And mm, when we recognize true. that we're trying to make a marriage work in the middle of spiritual warfare and a spiritual battle, uh, and then when we recognize that in the midst of that battle, it's not our spouse who's the enemy. Mm. We have an enemy who wants to destroy our marriage. We tend to think it's our spouse. It's not our spouse. There's the enemy of our souls who's doing everything he can to try to disrupt what God has joined together. And we need to together turn our attacks on him rather than on one another in a marriage relationship. Absolutely. You know, that 
brings me to my next question. In the case of a struggling marriage, can you talk about the importance of focusing in on our own contributions to that struggle rather than, you know, focusing on what our spouse has brought to the equation? Well, it, first of all, you are the only person you can bring change to, right? I mean, you, mm-hmm. you can't change another person. We can only change ourselves with the help of the Holy Spirit doing that work in us. And so it's an exercise in futility to keep wanting to change your spouse. You have to say, okay, what's my contribution here? And you may look at that situation and say, you know, I'm sure I have a contribution, but mine is only 5% of the problem and my spouse is 95% of the problem. And I would say, okay, well, deal with your 5%. You can pray certainly for for the rest of it. But most of us tend to think that the problems in our marriage are outside of us. Mm. And the reality is the biggest problems in our marriage are inside of us. That's what we need yeah. to be focusing on. Yeah, when when one spouse sees the other one, you know, capitulate and say, look, okay, I'm owning this, it might be uh, hopefully a, a more domino effect. Maybe that'll spark them to bring their part of the equation into, right. into it all. Mm-hmm. Well, we're talking with Bob Lapine about his book, Building a Stronger Marriage. We'll be back with more Licensed Parent right after this. In today's digital age, there's more access than ever to digital devices. With technology constantly evolving to make our lives easier, is it any wonder that many feel as though they just can't live without it? Digital addiction can be just as chemically debilitating as drugs. Time in front of a screen can drastically affect the life of your child. For starters, your child may choose technology over simple things like playing outside and engaging in exercise, acquiring a job, and gaining life experience. To learn more about how digital addiction can affect your child, visit helpmytroubledteen.org, click on Resources, and look for the article, What is Digital Addiction? Parenting isn't easy. Shepherd's Hill Academy wants to equip you with resources for all areas and issues of life. Discover a variety of ebooks, podcasts, links, and more to help you navigate the parenting landscape. Help by Hi, folks. Trace Embry here, host of the Licensed to Parent broadcast and founder of Shepherd's Hill Academy. We've all heard about modern-day miracles, mostly from mission fields. Frankly, I've believed about half of them and experienced none of them until about 30 years ago. Christ truly became the Lord of my life. The Miracles of Shepherd's Hill is a book that wasn't written as much as it was recorded. It's the true story of how God used a handshake, my family's last $200, and our 30-year odyssey of bumper-to-bumper miracles to acquire a 60-acre farm that was used by the devil and turned it into a 250-acre globally recognized healing ministry for God. I want all people to know that Jesus Christ is still in the miracle-working business for those submitted to His word, will, and way, and who properly understand what faith truly is. The Miracles of Shepherd's Hill, an extraordinary odyssey of divine interventions by Trace Embry. Learn more at LicensedToParent.org.
Welcome back to Licensed to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherds Hill Academy. You can learn more about Shepherds Hill. Go to licensedtoparent.org. Today, we're talking with Bob Lapine, and we're talking with him about his book, Building a Stronger Marriage. Well, Bob, before the break, we were talking about struggling marriages. Uh, Whether I'm a husband or a wife, how am I supposed to handle things if I agree to bring all my faults to the table and genuinely focus on fixing them? Uh, when my spouse won't so much as admit to bringing any fault at all to the equation. No confession, no repentance, and seemingly no forgiveness. Yeah, this is where things get really tough, and this is one of the reasons why it's so important for us to address issues in marriage inside a community, inside a church, ideally. Mm-hmm. I, I have a couple who came to me recently at our church, and they they said, we've just got some stuff going on, some adjustments we're making. They're in the, uh, I think, the fourth or fifth year of their marriage, they just had their first child, and they're starting to hit some bumps in their relationship. Mm. And I, I said to this couple, as I sat down with them for the first time, I said, you guys need to know, I am so encouraged and impressed by the fact that you reached out and said, we need some help here. Because most couples, when they face those kinds of bumps, are too embarrassed to admit it. They don't mm-hmm. know where to go for help. They want to keep it compartmentalized so they can look good to everybody else at church. They don't want to admit their flaws or their failings. And if you try to resolve it between the two of you, you're you're going to hit an impasse more often than not. You need a third party. You need yeah. a counselor, a pastor, uh, an older mentor couple who can, with objective eyes, look at a situation mm-hmm. and call you out on things that you don't see. Yeah. Jesus, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, we're really good at spotting the specks in each other's eyes. Mm-hmm. We're really bad at noticing the planks that are in our own eyes. And this mm-hmm. is where we need somebody to come along and say, hey, you're not seeing the plank here. And so if, if you're in a marriage and your spouse has gone, no, the problem's you. I'm not doing anything wrong. This is where you need godly support, a counselor, uh, a church family that can come along. And uh, I know that doesn't always work because sometimes there are complicating factors that even go into that. But you've Mm got to get some third-party help to help uh, bring some objectivity to the conflict that you're experiencing. Yeah, because this is really this is a situation where subjectivity is meeting subjectivity, and, exactly, and and uh, that doesn't usually equate to any objectivity. Uh, a lot of mental health professionals will say that our own anger is never another person's fault, but rather something that's already inside of us. If that's entirely true, why does Paul tell us not to provoke our children to anger, and hmm. and, and why does Jesus warn us not to cause someone else to stumble? Well, I, I think the seed of anger, you're right, exists in the heart. Of every man, Jesus said, you may not be a murderer, but you have anger in your heart. We all do. I remember a mom who said one time, I I was never impatient until I had teenagers. And a friend of mine wisely said back to her, you were always impatient. It just took a teenager to bring it out of you. (laughs) And and so I, I think it's important for us to recognize that, yes, when our anger is provoked, there are things that another person can do that can uh, incite our anger, we tend to look at that and go, therefore, my anger is legitimate because you incited it. And I would go, no, time out. The, the fact that somebody provoked your anger, the fact that somebody cuts me off in traffic or 
here's where I face it most often. When I'm on a road trip and there are two 18-wheelers on the highway oh. and they're going side by side, and it takes <laughs> one five miles before he passes the other one. You know, uh-huh. they, one of them's going 65 miles an hour, the other one's going 65 and a half miles an hour, and it's just going to take them forever to get past. And I'm sitting back there going, would you idiots get off the road and let me, this is my highway. I want to go my speed. <laughs> well, have those guys provoked me to anger? Uh, you could say, sure, they have. And you could even look at it and say, I think your anger is legitimate in that case. And I would go, no, it's still a problem. It's still not mm-hmm. godly anger. And that's where I think we have to get back to it. Godly anger, uh, because there is righteous anger. God gets that's angry. But righteous anger is when the reputation of God is being called into question, when his ways and purposes are being opposed. Most of us get angry because our rights, our privileges, what we think we deserve is being violated. And this is where we have to come back and there has to be humility and we have to go, you know, I I don't deserve anything. I have to empty myself of this anger and I have to trust the Lord to bring peace in the midst of that anger and help dial that down because the problem really is in my heart. Well, so that, that was one of the questions I'm going to ask you is when is anger a legitimate response to a situation? Like, you know, when someone, some innocent person's reputation uh, gets tarnished, it's not necessarily God, but right. you're being falsely accused. I mean, the Psalms are, are replete with David and others. You know, I'm, I'm wrongly accused, you know, to yes. break the teeth of my enemies, this, this type of thing. When is is it a legitimate time to exercise legitimate anger uh, in a situation uh, with your spouse? I mean, I, I, I don't. I'm, I'm having. A, I am having a tough time believing that there is never a time uh, that that I shouldn't or can't show my anger toward my spouse. Let's let's, let's, let's say I caught her in another man's arms. I mean, sure. Is, is, am I, do I not have the Maybe the responsibility to say, hey, you know, what are you thinking here? Um, maybe turn a few yeah. tables over, maybe pour out his wallet all over the ground. <laughs> <laughs> so let, let's, let's break that down into two parts. First of all, there's the, the impulse or the feeling of anger, which I think you're right. Anytime we see the, the, the goodness of God, the righteousness of God, when somebody's uh, involved in adultery, when, when you see things happen um, in, in the world that are injustice where where people think about what's going on in the Middle East and and those kinds of situations mm-hmm. you see these things happen if 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 it doesn't stir up anger in you then something's wrong yeah, because say. we should look at these situations and go no this is not right and that should stir up in us a sense of righteous indignation and a desire for justice to be done and for God to be glorified in the midst of that now that's the impulse of anger the next question is what is that impulse fuel in me? Mm-hmm. And so how do I respond to that impulse? And if you respond with violence, then I, I don't see a biblical warrant for responding with violence to anger. There is such a thing as a just war theory. I mean, we could get off mm-hmm. into that, but in a marriage relationship, uh, to be angry and respond in violence is not what God would have us do. Um, so we have to go, What? how do I channel this impulse into righteous uh, redemption of the situation. What what can I bring as I'm feeling this injustice is taking place? How can I use that to fuel uh, a, a desire to see righteousness accomplished in a marriage relationship? So I, th- I think the, the impulse is one thing. The response to that impulse, it has to be a godly response. And I would say this, if your stirred up anger does not 
manifest itself with the fruit of the Spirit still present mm-hmm. in your life, then it's not a godly response. So that stirred up anger still has to express itself with love and joy and peace and patience mm-hmm. and kindness and gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. If, if, if any of those are missing from your yeah. response to anger, it's not a Spirit-led response. Well, let me play devil's advocate here just a little bit, okay. because my next question was going to be when one spouse is angry with the other and then remembers that he or she should be exercising the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. How does this jibe with some of today's mental health professionals' advice that warn against the dangers of repressing our emotions, sometimes advising clients to yell, <laughs> scream, or even punch something? And when Jesus turned over tables and did what he did, took a whip and drove you know animals and people out of the temple... I don't know that anyone would identify that as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, <laughs> faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, although he he never sinned. And he, yes. was, he, he did this under control. He, it was totally under control. And yet there are a lot of people who's, who, who don't have second or third tier thinking skills that would say that he just totally lost it and he, he must have sinned in doing that. And yet I, I don't know. I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but I can see how a guy can do that and not sin. Yes, and and I think that's what we have to look at. First of all, I remember hearing a pastor say one time that before Jesus overturned the tables in the temple, he wept over Jerusalem. And most mm-hmm. of us have never wept over the situation. We just respond in anger. Most of us are thinking my well, rights have react. been violated. Exactly. We react in anger. Jesus took time to make that whip. He responded in anger. And we would have to say, you're right, we would have to say that his response was self-controlled. His response was fueled Mm. by love. His response was a patient response. And and I think one of the things we have to recognize is that um, intervention and and, uh, having these kinds of uh, engagements. Galatians chapter 2 says, if you see your brother caught in a sin... It doesn't say, just go pray for him. It says, no, you who are spiritual should be actively engaged in restoring your brother mm-hmm. uh, from that sin. Well, that could get messy and that could get hard and that could get intense, but it's our responsibility to move in with the goal of restoration. It also says in that same verse, keeping watch over yourself so that you too don't become tempted. Mm-hmm. When you're going to engage in spiritual warfare like that and get into the battle and try to rescue a, a spouse who's who's not living, they're, they're trapped in a sinful behavior pattern, you need to recognize Satan sees that as fertile ground, and he's going to try mm-hmm. to use that to deteriorate the relationship rather than to help you be a rescuer of your brother or your sister who's ensnared mm-hmm. in sin. Yeah, no doubt. You know, I can't help but wonder, I mean, we with this next generation, with our kids today, if their parents' anger is left unchecked and they're seeing bitterness in root in hearts, what happens to our children? Yeah, I, I have uh, said to parents for years, your kids will hear what you say and they will maybe do what you tell them, but they're going to become who you are. Mm. It's not that what we say or what we tell them is unimportant, but what we model is what sticks. And this is where we've got to be so careful and make sure that we're modeling godliness in front of our kids, authentic godliness. When we mess up, they got to see us confess and repent. And then we've got to show them that our life is committed to pursuing Christ first, or they'll be influenced in a negative yeah. way by our, our model, our example. 
Well, our conversation went way too quickly, Bob. Thank you so much for just coming on and talking to us just about marriage and especially this last little segment about anger in marriage. Such an important topic. Thank you for your ministry. Thank you for your leadership. Thank you very much for being a part of Licensed to Parent today. Yeah, great to be with both of you guys. Thank you. God bless you. Our guest today was Bob Lapine. He is the author of Building a Stronger Marriage. To find out more about Bob and his ministry, check out RedeemerLR.org. Thanks for listening to Licensed to Parent. You know, if you have a question about raising teens today, even difficult teens, send us your question, radio at licensedtoparent.org. Trace might just answer your question on an upcoming broadcast. You know, each year we at Shepherd's Hill Academy welcome teens who have spiraled into crisis. Many times we are their parents' last resort. And because of you and your generous giving, we've continued to love untroubled teens and their parents through our therapeutic boarding school. We're helping them through life and pointing them to the Savior. If you continue to believe in what we are doing here at Shepherd's Hill, would you consider giving a gift? A gift of any amount would be welcome. And of course, you can go to licensedparent.org and click on the donate button. Thanks to our team for making today possible. Our producer is Rich Rosel. Carl Peets is our technical producer. For Trace Ambry, I'm Michelle Hill, inviting you to join us again next time to renew your license to parent. And remember, folks, if you don't train your children, somebody else will. God bless you. See you next time.